to the ether today is sunday december 18th 2022 today on the ether part three of the three-part chepe space luna lunk ama let's take a listen but yeah like the video game space um has certainly taught me a lot about human behavior what people care about what they don't how they act like how they act in groups how to organize people in groups and like i don't know mmos uh, historically when they were very very young were um sort of a very sort of like fascinating space where a bunch of nerds hang, hung out um and a lot was learned in that process um yeah i, I tell the story a lot like it's it's like uh ultima online everquest runescape these were the first sort of like no uh forms of digital money um in many ways like we would mine these things by like i don't know literally digging on a mountain or something with our video game character we'd get the gold and then we go sell it on ebay um right around i think 2000 or maybe 2001 that's when they banned um video game like asset sales on ebay and uh that was like you know if bitcoin was 2008 2009 around that time video game people were selling digital assets well before that um considerably before um like actual bitcoin was released and the white paper came out um but yeah a lot of like halfany and a lot of people were into um like game programming and um game economics and um things like in especially mudflation played a large role in Bitcoin's design in particular. Um, mudflation was an interesting thing where, okay, like if you think about a video game, like EverQuest or something, right? Um, and you think about the server that you're on. So let's say you're on the Vision server on EverQuest and you sort of like dug up gold. If you have a character and a PC, <coughs> the only thing required to dig up gold was like a pickaxe or whatever and you go into the thing you you claim in you just dig up rocks or whatever or gold or or you killed monsters and you got your gold right so uh that resource acquisition required a computer now if i got another computer i could have another character on there and dig up even more gold or i can hire a group of people to dig up gold or something if i felt felt like that would be worthwhile or something like that right but um ultimately the amount of gold coming into the world was infinite because um and it was only limited by the number of players that could fit on that server so like at any given moment there's a certain amount of coins that could be minted if everybody in the game just made gold right um but also this was true for all the items in the game where like swords would drop off of every other creature right like every time you killed something oh look i got a little sword or gold or whatever it was and so all of those represent inflation because you could go to a merchant 
sell that little sword you got or that rock or gem or whatever the fuck it was, go sell it for gold. And now you got more gold and that gold, the rate of gold entry into the game was sort of like part of the mechanics of the thing. And eventually these games were built to be highly inflationary because it's like, even if you're a brand new person coming to the game, you should be able to kill a monster. You should be able to dig for gold and get it right. If you make it harder and harder, like more and more scarce, like imagine like Bitcoin. Um, if over the lifespan of a server on EverQuest, if it became more and more difficult to mine for gold, then the earliest people that mined it are going to stay rich. And only if they leave the game does like it help. But ultimately what happens is, is gold becomes too valuable and it breaks the game mechanic and it doesn't work, right? So it's like a weird problem. You have to make it infinite inflationary um, to make video game gold work. And you'll notice this is true of every game you've ever played probably um, where like there has to be a way to mint new gold into the game. Otherwise, like the new players are screwed. Like there's no way for the new people to come in. Um, this is why like NFT game projects don't oftentimes work. Um, they create like tokenomics that, um, people have already figured out, like, I don't know, <laughs> or late nineties don't work for video games. So a lot of the stuff happening in the blockchain NFT video game space right now is like already stuff that people at like, uh, Blizzard, Activision, Blizzard in particular, but even a lot of the, the folks that ran RuneScape, EverQuest, everything else, like those people already understood how these mechanics work. And it was very difficult to monetize them for the studios. Um, if you notice, like Steam, for example, has not stepped into like blockchain based anything in their systems. And the reason is because there's, they haven't figured out a great way to monetize that. But also like when you add crypto to video games, what happens is you, you ruin the video game immersion. What ends up happening is, is like you start tying your real world income to the shit in the game and it ruins the immersion completely. Um, so this is partly why steam and other companies have not gone into like blockchain anything. Um, because these, when you make tokens too fungible with real world money, then a rich person, um, can get access to way more resources in the game much quicker and it ruins the game mechanics, right? Like the whole point of being in a game is to separate yourself from the real world and play with game economics and game objects that only belong in that world. And as soon as you have the ability to like, like, let's say you work at Walmart and like I work at, um, you know, I don't know, like Goldman Sachs, I make a hundred times more than you do at work and me throwing like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars at a video game to buy a bunch of shit. Now I'm just rich in the game too. Um, it's just not popular. Like people don't like that shit. Um, they want to have like a level playing field on a game so that everyone that subscribes to the game has an equal chance of doing well. And, um, these game mechanics and things are super interesting. And um, if you play them long enough or think about the design of them, you realize why like generally blockchain gaming has been largely bullshit. It's because um, the separation of real world and in, in game immersion has to be maintained. This is the reason why this is the reason also, by the way, like uh, at the time, Verant interactive and I don't remember Sony or Verant at the time, but they uh, rebelled against, um, uh, eBay and they like, I don't know if they said that they'd sue them or I don't know what they did, but eventually they got eBay to stop, um, allowing for video game assets to be sold. I think it was like 2001 maybe, or something like that. You could look it up, I'm sure. But I remember going through that and it was super interesting because it was ruining the in-game uh, mechanics at some level. 
Well, I was going to ask if there are any kind of like capital controls that you could think of that would probably either mitigate the, you know, uh, that kind of noise or improve upon it. Um, like you would mention, yeah. you, or you mentioned something earlier about, um, you know, uh, like a gamified platform uh, to, you know, with, you know, with a particular token that was meant specifically for, you know, that, you know, that platform such, and I, and I guess by that way of kind of bottleneck, you know, any kind of like exit pressure, you know, from that platform, um, do you see any benefit to a gamified platform versus a, a, a full on gaming system or a gaming chain, like a dedicated chain specific for gaming? Or um, do you think it's like six of one and half a dozen of the other? And if um, yeah. it, like a particular capital control could, um, you know, be the solution for it? Yeah, I don't know. Like, um, I don't think anyone's sort of figured that out in the sense that, like, if you look at uh, video games today, right, think about the pay-to-play games on your iPad or something like that. Um, I don't know. There's, like, Jurassic Park games. I don't know what the fuck. There's tons of these little things, right, where you can pay more money to advance in the game or you can pay money to get objects in the game. Um, and the company that creates the game wants to monetize this. They don't want you, the customer, to be able to make a bunch of money. They are the one that created the game. They want to make a buck off this thing, right? Which makes sense, like, you know, <laughs> at its core. So the game designer is not strongly incentivized to create games where you make real-world money somehow. They're going to want to monetize every little bit of it. Now, I've seen, like, skins and things like that, like Fortnite or whatever, where people will sell... Um, like things that like I mean, if you think about it like let's say you got Fortnite for free and your kid bought like three skins for 20 bucks each or some bullshit right like they, you've basically paid for the game um in a nutshell and um those skins don't materially change your ability to play the game like you're not dramatically more effective because you have the cool i don't know shield or gun or whatever the fuck it is right like you can still play the game the same so some of these types of things don't add a lot to the actual game except how it's monetized. They don't necessarily like create a world of gaming that's dramatically more interesting because you tie, say, for example, like anything where real world dollars are fungible with a token, that token can then go into a game. I don't know. Like, you know, what are you optimizing for at that point? Are you going to try to gamify like rich people versus poor people? Or something like that like how do you design that to make sense um to make the game fun uh if in a, in a way like if you think about it like why do we play video games in the first place it's because the real world's not fair right like if, if i am a gamer and you know i'm a kid you know let's say i'm 15 years old and i'm playing on whatever and i'm playing on world of warcraft or something i can start playing this thing and become an elite player after maybe a couple of years of just grinding and whatever and forming a team and forming a guild or whatever. Um, if all that can be taken away because the guy over there simply can just buy his way into this, um, which I suppose you still could. You could pay players to play and help you and shit like this, I suppose, if you're rich. It's weird, but it's possible. But it's just not common. Um, like, it ruins the, like, the nature of games um themselves i don't know that any capital control solves this like there's a series on netflix i've mentioned before it's like it's like uh i don't know the games we played or something like that which goes over like when you know like mario brothers and pac-man and all these early video games came out and one of the insightful things out of that series i took away from it was 
one thing that's super interesting about those games where there's like Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, whatever, like you put your quarter in, quarter in <clears throat> you could be rich or poor, didn't matter. And the game sort of like restarted every time anyway. And everyone can play on an even playing field, very similar to how if you play a chessboard. Like just because you're a rich person doesn't mean you're automatically going to be better at chess, right? Or something like that. Um, you have to <coughs> disconnect the real world. Otherwise, it's not really a game. It's just life, right? It's just, that's all it is. And then what ends up happening is like you don't – there's never any such thing as play to earn. That's just mostly nonsense out of professional, outside of professional sports, right? If you're a professional sports player, you are playing to earn. Outside of that, like you can't have everybody in the world play soccer, for example, and have a play to earn soccer game that doesn't make any sense, right? Like you could, you could maybe um, like create to earn. That makes sense because you're producing content for other people. Or maybe you could um, pay to play, which makes sense because then you're again, you're, you're, you're monetizing some content creator. Um, and there could be work to earn. Like imagine a video game where you're a bartender in the game telling jokes or something, right? Maybe people tip you as a result of that, like the Twitter spaces, except you're in a video game. Um, something like that, where you're providing a service or maybe you're acting, right? Like in the game as a character or something, you're literally a physical actor in the game or doing a concert there. I can understand people paying you to work, right? Work to earn. But there's not a lot of economic situations where play to earn ends up working for very long, right? Like there's, uh, you could do it in short bursts, like maybe fund like a, like a competition. Um, like one thing that Luna Classic I was thinking of earlier could do, by the way, is you could have like some weird thing, like take some of the, the transaction taxes and like create like a lottery, like a big ass lottery, like where you could win like $10 million or hundred million dollars something crazy that would attract a lot of people to the blockchain right like if you think about how many people go and play the mega millions lottery or whatever um yeah make it really rare like so it's hard to win and just have it get bigger and bigger and bigger and then when it gets a certain size people freak out and go oh my god the, the, the pool is big go get your lottery ticket right like um so yeah like a lottery type mechanism in games uh, can be a way to sort of create a play to earn scenario where let's say, for example, you're in an arena in, I don't know, an EverQuest or World of Warcraft or something. And you, everyone that goes to play, it's a pay to play deal, but there's a pool of money that starts building and whoever wins the like tourney or the tournament or whatever it is, the joust, whatever you want to call it, like there's a pool of money and that incentivizes people to try to play at a competition level. So you, you want to attract the elite player by making it possible for them to monetize their eliteness um, because those elite players uh, provide entertainment and network effects for everybody. It's like watching Argentina versus Spain, right? Like, um, you know, the elite players in soccer get probably get paid something pretty decent, but not so much people in the, like the smaller leagues or whatever. Right. <clears throat> so that, you know, incentivizes people to play at a professional level, which creates network effects and entertainment for everybody else. Um, and this is true of like any of the sports teams that where there's a pay, there's a play to earn type of scenario. But then it's like a, just, just a type of work to earn, right? I think if you think of like NBA, right? Most people that play basketball, you think are at that point, they're in a job. They're not, we don't think of them just playing basketball, right? They're not just hanging out. They have to do it. Otherwise they don't get paid. 
or they're in breach of contract or something like that, which is basically work at that point, regardless of the fact that they're playing an enter. They're basically being paid to entertain you at that point, at some level. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a capital control that anyone's thought of in video games that when you connect real world um, money to being possible to win the game faster or get higher credibility that it ever works out in the long run. We saw this with NFTs, by the way. I don't know if you noticed this, Madman. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but like in NFTs, what happened was if you look at like any of the big NFT groups, right? Like you had some people that were like OG, um, you know, cyberpunks or like, you know, whatever, monkey pick, pick your monkey pick and whatever. And like people got into NFTs and they would pick their particular uh, brand of NFT. And when it was cheap, they got in. And they, everyone's rallying when the price goes up that had it early on. Um, but then like when the price got to a certain level, it got to the point where it's like, there's no more buyers, right? Like there's like, who's going to pay $200,000 for this rock NFT or whatever, right? So eventually that um, situation leads to where the assets get too overinflated in price. They get overvalued. And the entire market crashes at once. And now the game is no fun for anybody. And once that's happened, the question is, is that game going to be played over and over again with NFTs where they get pumped and dumped, pumped and dumped forever? Or do people get wise to it? And, and they're like, well, I think it's just like stupid. I'm only going to buy the cheapest NFTs. And if they go up, if they don't, whatever. And, um, and then you have infinite numbers of NFTs and AI generated ones or whatever. Um, so you, you kind of flood the market to some extent. Um, so yeah, the NFT game, um, was an example of like, there's no great way to sort of put a capital control on that game <clears throat> with, you know, unless you're willing to make the NFTs inflationary, where like, there's not a limit to how many of them there are. Like, like if you talk about Ether Rocks or something like that, right? One of the popular ones say like, all right, well, if the demand goes up, more of them get printed at some point. Um, but then if they're not scarce, like, why is anyone going to care about them? And right, you see the problem, like, there's no scenario where capital control works, because if you limit people buying them, well, the price doesn't go up. If you like limit the fungibility of them, be, you know, and reduce the market for them, then all of a sudden, nobody cares either. Um, yeah, it's like, it's either organic, or it's not, but the game eventually ends. And nobody wants to play the game that's new. Because right, and the other thing too, is like, let's say you're part of the OG ether rock community, because you're like OG Ethereum or some shit, right? Okay, fine. There's that like credibility that I'm I'm an original, um, I don't know whatever Ethereum crowd or something. But let's say now you're on uh, Cosmos or you're on uh, Avalanche or whatever the fuck chain. Like, why would you care about going and getting an Ether Rock necessarily if it doesn't represent you in any way, right? Like, it's not really an interesting, like emotional attachment to that blockchain at all at that point. Um, so I, I don't know how th that game of musical chair eventually ends where you just run out of buyers for that particular thing, I think. And even if like you, like the current generation of Ethereum people, like Vitalik and friends, let's call them, um, like, you know, that like you, they um, ha have the ether rocks and let's say like there's a new generation of Ethereum kids, like in 10 years and they're building on layer three, layer four, whatever the hell in Ethereum, right? Like, are they going to go buy Ether Rocks or they're going to be like, ah, I don't know, whatever. 
that's interesting, but like, that's not our generation. Listen, you boomers or whatever they called them at that time. And they just don't care about that thing. So it's like, I don't know, the art and fashion are so transient and, um, uh, in game design and FT design fashion, uh, is a big deal and things come in and out of fashion pretty easily. And when you tie like the, the, again, when you tie real world resources, to these things, like it makes the bubble even like bubble even bigger, faster. So what happened with EverQuest at the time was when video games sold and even characters, by the way, the way, I had the world record character sale for like at the time I was the first one to hit like $5,000 for a video game character sale on my character on eBay. And, um, I had like a, some CNN, uh, online interviewer message me on eBay and ask me questions and shit like this at the time. Um, I was trying to find the article, but I couldn't, I think that it's no longer on the internet it's scrubbed or whatever. But, um, I, I, what, what happened was, is the, the game got messed up because people got access to equipment and characters, but the people that bought those game characters didn't have the requisite skills or like the, the credibility in the game to go with the equipment, which is kind of funny because originally like only a few people had this equipment and it was like a, like a flex or a street cred type of thing. And, um, people would buy these things and then it would like devalue the, the credibility because it's no longer attached. It's not soul bound to that human being that bought it. So later what happened in EverQuest was like you, they, they stopped allowing, and I think they still is the same story. Like they stopped allowing you to, uh, go to a credit card with a different name. So like your character on like, I don't know, like on uh, Warcraft or EverQuest right now is tied to your identity and tied to your credit card and stuff like that. So you can't like just um, sell that character offline or sell the equipment and stuff that goes with it. And the other thing they did with a big shift in video game, um, I would say a big shift in video game history in general was more soul bound items. So like if you, in the beginning, if it's like if you kill the dragon or some shit, like the items that you received were fungible. Like, uh, like if Ryan here wanted my sword that I got from you know the big dragon in the game, I could sell it to him if I wanted to, or give it to him, or whatever. Or maybe I can go farm a few of them and give them to my friends. But then what happened was like they changed them to be soul bound, where if you killed some animal, like a big dragon or whatever, only the person that looted the object would be able to keep it. And I'm sure some of you remember when that happened. And the soul bound idea was like, well. Only the people that get to that level and get to that particular stage in the game should have this thing. And if we allow people to just sort of farm them and sell them off, then the mega guilds will sit there and like camp these places for money and like they'll sell them on eBay or they'll sell them outside. And um, for the people that would rather not spend that much time doing it, and they just pay for these items, which is very funny. So it ruins the game when you have the ability to sell these because now they no longer have the the like... I don't know, the in-game value that you would have had before. Um, so yeah, a lot of interesting changes in the history of gaming that like ultimately translated to, you know, cryptocurrency and then now is being talked about over and over again. I'm like, okay, we did that like 20 years ago. What else is new? <laughs> like, you know, so when I look, look at these NFT games, I'm like, whatever, snooze. This isn't going to be successful long-term. It's, they don't, it doesn't offer anything particularly new except the possibility of getting rich off your NFT or whatever. And, um, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, so yeah, like what I was designing like separately was more what we were talking about before, which is like, uh, blockchain specific games, which are where like, um, if you look at the fun we used to have on Terra with like, um, 
anchor protocol and um, I don't know where spectrum and uh, prism and this and that, right? Each of these represented interesting like tokenomics and fun. And people used to like borrow over here and arbitrage over there and like trade over here and like look for all these opportunities. That was like a game in and of itself. So I think blockchain gaming um, is a game like if you think about like all these different opportunities, weighing the opportunity costs, strategizing, thinking about risks, thinking about rewards. And that's the fun of it. Like that's what made Terra really fun. Not just the UST thing, but Terra had some of the best, like most entertaining shit to do on the internet at the time. And that's part of why Luna went up so high in value. <laughs> Recapturing that excitement and that fun of like playing that game, um, I think can be done where we can like design like uh, perhaps like a lot of daughter chains with specialized functions um, and interesting dynamics, like, you know, maybe like crazy events that happen on each of them. Maybe like imagine one chain on your blockchain is a lottery chain. And all that happens is every time like uh, some Luna, um, like every time someone buys a lottery ticket, they have to burn Luna Classic. That buys you Luna Lottery Token or whatever. That's a separate chain. You can hold that and you, it's fungible and you can trade that or whatever, or you can acquire more of that and, you know, win the hundred million dollar, like Luna chain lottery or something like that. Right. Like, um, and then an, that's just that one chain. Uh, and then you have another one that might have like inflationary dynamics that favor like an NFT platform. Then you have another chain sub chain. Uh, and so like every possible tokenomic is represented within your ecosystem, right? You have every possible one. So what would be the reason to go to like, off chain to find, say, for example, a store of value coin. If the primary coin of your chain, let's say Luna Classic, uh, as an example, is the store of value coin, like it is the deflationary standard on your platform, you won't need to go to Bitcoin to say, for example, have a deflationary coin or like a fixed supply situation, right? You need to have every tokenomic right there and then and there at your fingertips. You can then like access it and you can jump between like a, maybe a grid bot between lottery token and the store of value token, so you can acquire more of the one you want or something like that, right? Um, so you could do interesting dynamics with these when you have multiple chains simultaneously. And these are not even tokens, these are separate chains, subchains, because then you could list, if one of them becomes really popular, let's say lottery chain coin becomes really popular, you can easily post that on like Binance or Coinbase or somewhere, and they can adopt anyone they want to list if they feel like it, if it's popular enough, right? That kind of thing. So that's the beauty of like the new um, sort of like Cosmos and Luna, like feather-based capabilities. Um, it's going to be possible to do these neat um, new uh, like parallel chains. And um, when you create separate chains for these things, what's interesting about it is you don't have to have any governance. Right. Because if like, let's say a madman here is like, you know what? I don't think we have a sufficiently deflationary coin. I think your coin is bullshit. You can have just one more parallel token right then and there that has exactly the properties you care about. And the beauty of not having governance for it is once you've designed it the way you like it, you let it run and it's immutable forever. And now you can build cool platform like you know, games on top of that, that rely upon that particular tokenomic, right? So you have these like interesting tokenomic engines. And on top of that, you can build interesting games. Because like, if I build a dApp, and you have 12 different coins on your network, um, I can pick the coins that are relevant for the dApp that I have, that fit the tokenomics, and I don't even have to leave the the chain or the local area, or I don't even have to leave the wallet. 
I can connect these different things and create amazing um, like interactions between them and stuff like that. So I think blockchain gaming is more about like um, think about the validator network similar to like a chessboard in chess. Um, think about it like I don't know. Uh, think about if you're playing Risk or some board game. The way a proof of stake network should be considered is like that's your board game, and the game should be relevant to the type of board you're playing on. You don't say you don't go get like I don't know. You don't get Call of Duty and connect fucking blockchain to it. That's stupid. Like it has no relevance to anything. You like that'd be like saying like okay, I'm gonna play chess in the Call of Duty game. It makes no sense, right? Or I'm gonna put the chessboard inside of Call of Duty game, and I'm gonna play like with Call of Duty characters on a chessboard. Like, like what's the point? There isn't a point, right? So if you think about blockchain games, my thinking is like there should be something related to the nature of blockchain itself that defines the playing field, very similar to how we used to play on Terra DeFi. And you create all of these components, like we had Mirror Protocol, Anchor Protocol, whatever. Uh, spectrum and and then people would like connect those and like compose those into interesting things and all these fun little tokens to get and everyone's like sitting there debating okay wait a minute what's the best place to make money maybe i should buy y luna maybe i should buy p luna uh, maybe i should bet get uh like uh, i don't know spectrum token wait which is better uh, you know what's the better outcome if i get spectrum token or if i would go and stake this myself or whatever right like people had a lot of debates about what the best play of the game was and the more sort of games you build on top of the system like the more fun it is for everybody and like there's more um excitement and stuff like that so yeah that's what i kind of think needs to happen in cosmos generally is like you sequence of chains that each have really interesting properties and you don't have a bunch of governance shenanigans and nonsense and debates about stupid shit um the reality is nobody cares about all this stuff like reality is like most people want to put their money in some coin or some project that's like has some functions or properties that they can believe in and understand. And they sure as hell don't want to have votes forever about modifications of the thing. Like it's just not like reality, right? Like think about go play any video game that you've ever played. Let's say you played, I don't know, like pick World of Warcraft or Call of Duty or something. How much more exciting would the game be if you had to vote on all the different shit in the game? Like, 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 why would you want to spend that much time on voting on the crap, like which the next gun is going to be in Call of Duty? No, like you just want the developer to create a new gun, not break the old gun. And all they have to do is like, you know, release a new gun with a scope that's slightly different or something and off you go. Right. Uh, you don't break the previous stuff just to play with new stuff. And that's an important like general principle in blockchain is immutability. <clears throat> if you don't have immutability, you miss a lot of the point of blockchain. Like you missed like, like nine tenths of the fucking story here. Like immutability um, really makes it possible. Like let's say you have, I don't know, a dozen chains or a hundred chains, let's say, or a hundred dApps, right? And you have composability between a dozen of them or three of them or whatever. You don't want to keep changing the underlying protocols because then you'll break the, the dApps that are composed on top of them um, and they wouldn't work, right? Like uh, what's the best way to describe this? Like, okay, like let's say for example, um, if you guys have played like Skyrim, for example, uh, Elder Scrolls Skyrim on uh, like PlayStation or whatever, and GTA, uh, GTA things like that. Well, Skyrim maybe I'm not sure. Does GTA have external mods? 
Can you make oh, extra? Hell if I know. Uh, I don't think last so. Last I played was GTA Four. But in like Skyrim, as an example, you can you can a person can build an, a, a full like extra game level, right? Like you can build a whole castle, you can build a whole town, you can build a village, whatever, and you can have an entire story that one can build separately, right? But do you think people are going to build external mods and game worlds if the primary game changes so much that it breaks the mod every five minutes? No. The answer is no, no, and no, right? Like, like a volunteer that's going to make a, a DAP or, or a video game mod or whatever, they need a base structure that simply does not change, right? If Elder Scrolls Six comes out, okay, which, you know, it's in the works, it does not need to be compatible with Skyrim, right? People can still play Skyrim. People can still make mods for the original Skyrim game. And make a rich world. And who knows, like EverQuest went to 26 expansions. Holy shit. I never even, I didn't realize that it was still going. I was like, I figured the damn thing was dead. Nobody cared. EverQuest 2 was actually less popular than EverQuest 1, which only had several expansions, I think. I don't know the history of it exactly. I, I quit following it. But the point is, like, just because it's new and shiny doesn't mean it's the one that's gonna succeed automatically. You want the one that has sufficient immutability. To where you can keep on building and building and building and the experience for the people playing is more and more rich as time goes on and the experience for the dap developers is not stupid where it's like their dap breaks every time you fuck with the chain or do something stupid right this is not good like you don't want that at all so it actually does make sense to me to have like mm, think about all of the tokenomics of all the chains you've ever been on like fixed supply chain uh inflationary tokens uh, deflationary tokens, um, I don't know, like, um, you know, different types of fully diluted valuation models, models where there's community pools, models where there isn't. Like, why not just have a series of chains, like maybe like, I don't know, spin up like 10 or 20 of them with almost every permutation you can imagine, then have them all connected perfectly together, um, synced, you know, in where you can trade between them. And then um, you can create interesting incentives for decentralization. For example, let's say you're a validator on chain four. Let's call them, just number them for the fun of it. Um, or the ice chain and the fire chain or something. Like, okay, so you're on ice chain. And um, in order for a validator to function on the ice chain, they have to burn things from the fire chain. And they have to have enough, like, I don't know, um you know name whatever it is like tokens or whatever nfts to basically uh fund their battle or, or secure their validator with financial security so you have to burn token two to make token four or like or, or validate token four and weird shit like that like you could create an entire tapestry essentially of interesting incentives for the validators for these different chains um that promote decentralization create like Entropy events that are programmatic, meaning like random slashing of validators at different levels. And, you know, and some of these things are totally random. Like, you know, like if you're on a cruise ship today, you get hit by a rogue wave or like, you know, like you get hit by a hurricane in real life. Um, you could have all those kinds of random events, tornadoes, um, all sorts of things that happen to these different blockchains. And then each chain would have its own properties. And then you would like, like, be incentivized to move your coins to different validators and different chains depending on the different activities and it'd be a whole lot of fun man like like the like i'm thinking of it and it's like wow like you could create an amazing sort of like um 
game that relies on the mechanics of the chain itself, which also is this your chaos game? Your little uh, napkin idea? Yeah, this is the this is the I need to put a name for this. <laughs> it was I'm starting to sound it, familiar. I'm like, is, I kind of redescribing like, it in my head. It's like okay, like this, like maybe you call this bliss. The game is bliss, <laughs> like you know, and like all these chains have to have interesting names. <laughs> but part of like the idea behind it is actually to to like combine the core human values and each of these chains represent like core values to the human race and they will play against each other in a sense um you know good versus it's not well uh, i don't know like uh compassion versus harm and all these kind of like um interesting sociologic principles and you can use them at a core level where you know human beings are going to be like picking camps right you know they're going to be people that want this section they want that coin and people form an emotional attachment to the chain that they care about. Um, they become like a hard for that chain or like, you know what I mean? Like they're the elite leader of that chain in a sense. And they kind of rally their troops and go and like, so like, yeah, you, like it'd be almost like, let's say you had coins of chain four, five and seven or something like you need those characteristics to beat chain one in a lottery game. So like if these three chains get enough points together, they can then take the, the gold hoard that the dragon has on chain one and rip up, rip that off. And like the yield goes to these other chains or something weird like that. Right. You see what I'm saying? Like you take everything that we learn from MMO, MMO RPG games, um, but make it with like these kind of crypto assets in a sense, so that you no longer are, you're not creating a, a fantasy game that's separate from your real world assets you're using real world assets and that then leads to the decentralization of the network by its very nature of the game itself. Does that make sense? Like, it's like, we are not incentivized on cosmos to decentralize the network. It's, it's a really poor, um, it's a really poor model. Like right now, like all nodes has too many fucking like, you know, like too many players are on the all nodes, um, uh, system, right? You should be able to, as a blockchain, punish those validators who are on all nodes right there should be a way that like if enough people get together with enough like you know characters in the game or whatever you want to call it uh to go and like attack the dragon so much and knock down their staking rewards or something like that so the community should be able to like strike back against centralization um when they see fit and i think that kind of mechanism would be very helpful in the cosmos we just don't have a game maybe something like uh um you know, higher, you know, uh, in-game transaction fees and, you know, weaker uh, experience points for, you know, users who stake to those validators so that, you know, yeah. it would, it would yeah. encourage them to stake towards a validator with lower voting power to boost their, uh, you know, it, it, in a sense, like it's an inverse relationship. Yeah, you have to, you have to combat against Sybil attacks too. Sybil is where, like, let's say I'm a centralized right, validator, right, like Coinbase. Yeah. What's to prevent me from like spinning up 10 different chains? Um, I'm sorry, 10 different validators so that I can like reduce the chance of Sybil attack, right? Sybil attack would be like, well, I have the same voting power, but it's spread among 10 validators. And now I also kicked 10 other nine other validators out of the active set simultaneously, right? You see the problem? So you, the Sybil uh, really is a significant risk in cosmos right now where all of the chains have this problem where like let's say for example i have let's say i had a hundred million dollars i could come in and spin up like um 
like let's say I came into Luna Classic, for example, and I, I spun up 10 validators for $10 million each, I could push a bunch of other validators out of the active set, right? You see the problem? Um, that would be considered a Sybil type situation, S-Y-B-I-L. And to, to circumvent that, like either those would have to be secret and no one would know that they're, it's a Sybil and it's the same central actor somehow, or the community could have a way to like downgrade those folks with the use of their chains. I'm sorry, with the use of their coins, not through governance vote traditionally, but truly to have a mechanism where you can attack the dragon, so to speak, right? Like there are, there has to be ways where like smaller validators and smaller groups of people can like come together and slay the dragon. Like, like in, in, the, in the World of Warcraft or EverQuest, right? You get all your friends together, you get a team and you go and kill the ice dragon or whatever, right? That kind of concept. Um, like you have to gamify the decentralization process in my view. And at a core level as a function of the blockchain itself, human beings have to be incentivized to decentralize the network somehow. I'm not sure entirely fully how that works, but like you, I think you get the gist. Otherwise, like there's no way to prevent um, like every single Cosmos blockchain has become centralized over time, right? Like go look at... Uh, go look at like the Kepler dashboard, K-E-P-L-R dashboard, and go pick your chain of your choice. Like pick, uh, I don't know, Adam, for example. And you'll notice that like Coinbase is one of the top ones. And like, I think, um, I don't remember what the other ones were, but the point is like, look at the size of those in terms of delegations. And then like, look at the top five and then look at the next top 20. And you're like, wait, <laughs> the voting power is really, really centralized here. If Coinbase decides to vote against the community, there's almost no way like the next, you know, the bottom hundred, val the bottom, uh, I should say, like 50 validators don't even come close to the voting power of Coinbase itself, right? Because of the way that proof of stake works. Um, similarly, what happened to Luna Classic is like a bunch of the validators went on all nodes and all nodes is actually hosting their validator. So on the, on the, on the Terra station wallet, it might say like, oh, like this guy and this guy and this guy look like they're separate, but actually they're all hosted by all nodes in the background, which is funny. Um, and there's no way to like totally prevent that, really. So that's a funny side effect of proof of stake. So if you were to ask me the bear case for Cosmos, it's that like some of those problems have never really been solved in proof of stake in general. That's true of Ethereum too, by the way, which is super centralized now. Um, you know, so it's like how do we solve for these type of issues? Uh, make it actually risky to have too much uh, that you're validating for too much, right? Like how do you make that risky somehow? Um, maybe like Pope badges, like uh, remember the the whole fad, the whole fad with uh, proof of attendance badges that they were uh, putting out. Like if you know, like Secret Network, for example, you know they were used. They would have their uh, their you know their webinars. Yeah, the for anyone who was in there, apps, you know, they would yeah. have like a little bat. Yeah, um, like couldn't something like that uh, maybe um, you know lending some. Uh, effort to trust the device uh, technology like you know what a uh, netflix you're trying to pair your uh, your tv to the uh you know to the netflix account and it gives you like a four digit five digit code that you got to like uh, put in to like bind it so that they know that it's this device and not you know not another device and if you have another yeah, device yeah. you say you know what you need only one device to it um so that it's like it would basically bind one wallet to the nft and you know based on what's uh you know what's staked entirely with that they would have to if they want to extend that civil attack they would have to move it out of that wallet and use another wallet to you know 
to target the you know the validatable all together. Um, yeah, maybe yeah. it matters just kicking the can, but um, you know, I'm, I'm just shooting from the hip here. Yeah, people haven't sorted out how to how to prevent validator centralization, like either the node operators being centralized, like all nodes type of situation, or for that matter, like a big player like a Coinbase or a Binance. Um, and yeah, there's like yeah, there's different ideas about how to maybe be like one person one vote, like a POAP type of idea. Um, but given sufficient incentive, remember, like many of those things can be like manipulated by bots and things. So it's like uh, it can be hard to enforce that on any serious scale where, um, you know, like it's one thing to have a little Twitter community or whatever and everyone sort of knows what they're doing. But like it's another thing when you have like you try to do this all on chain, it's more complicated. But what you're advocating for to some extent is like having a CAPTCHA, right? Like when you, when you use uh, a CAPTCHA, which is that little thing where you have to like, oh, show me the bicycles in this picture. You've seen those things, right? Yeah. Those are like, those are, yeah, trying to prove that you're human and not using the resources from like a bot infrastructure, especially like Google and stuff does this. Like if you're on a VPN and you go to Google to use it, the reason why they have you do a CAPTCHA sometimes <coughs> is they don't want um, like just DDoS attacks, DDoS or um, denial, denial service attacks against Google by bots and things. And so they kind of create this firewall. Mm, against like bots that uh, would otherwise misuse the services or something. Um, similarly, like if you tried to have a proof of individuality, then you could have like a one vote per person type of idea. Um, it's sort of what the U.S. Uh, like election system was based on, um, where you have one vote, one person. And interestingly, mm, one of the features of the voting systems of most democracies which is very specific is that they don't let you take home a proof of who you voted for. Uh, it's a really fascinating thing that I hadn't thought about much until I read about this sort of thing. But like um, one of the interesting things about like when you go into a voting voting booth and, and you vote for your favorite candidates or whatever is if it's possible for you to take home a receipt that said, Hey, madman voted for uh, you know, so-and-so for president and you know, if you had proof from the voting booth, like a receipt that you had this, you could then go and get paid for voting for somebody, right? So it's weird how the side effect of you simply being able to prove that you voted for a certain person ends up becoming like a vector for bribing you. So like you could have a, someone could have a campaign and say, hey, all the guys, you know, if, you know, especially in city elections and stuff, like you go to your neighborhood and you go door to door and say, hey, I'll pay you five bucks, kid. You know, if you go and vote for such and such and they're like, okay, why not? Sure. And then you just show me a receipt and I'll give you your five bucks. Like you could bribe like, <laughs> like enough the student number on the back of a cereal box for the toys. Yeah. Yeah. You could, you could get people, to, you could bribe people to sort of win. And this is another thing in blockchain too, is the bribing problem um, where like, this is why like convex um, in the curve ecosystem, uh, convex came into being where it's like formalized bribery. Um, and you had like literally a bribing token to like where where people would buy the convex token which then would be by curve token and whoever had the most curve token had the most um voting sway on curve so there became a secondary market for the voting tokens right which is fascinating too so what happens over time is when your blockchain's small nobody gives a shit about voting and billions of dollars show up on it then all of a sudden voting becomes really really important and co-opting it becomes 
relevant. So then people like all of a sudden care about governance tokens and stuff like that. And um, yeah, interesting sort of like side effects start happening. And on Terra, we had several com companies or whatever making like governance token um, sort of gamified programs to make it possible to get more um, of certain governance tokens. That becomes prominent when your blockchain gets bigger as well. And it's another type of a centralization or attack vector um, to govern. Reminds me of the Astro Wars. Exactly, exactly. Astro Wars is a perfect example of it, right? Like people were gearing up for that. And remember how weird it was where it was like, <clears throat> whoever won that war, right? The others would simply be losers. It was no way to win, right? Like you either won, you like got it all or you're screwed, right? There wasn't like a, like a, what was it called? Like, I think Xerox Years was one of the people in one of those teams. Uh, I wish he was here. He would tell you all about it. But like, um, what were they called? Um, uh, what was the name of the like, little sub? Uh, like, I don't know, the voting escrow war uh, groups. I forget the name of the dApps. But anyway, point, point is like, there were two or three of them, remember? Um, uh, one of them was Apollo Dow. And one of them was not Renegade, but should I forget the name? Um, as soon as you say it, I'll remember it. But like, so there were several different groups and whoever Spectrum? acquired, uh, no, not Spectrum. Whoever acquired the num max Astro token from the community. So the community would take their Astro token and they would provide it to say Apollo Dow, take Apollo tokens in return. And you would lock up your Astroport tokens with that protocol. And that yeah, protocol Spectrum did the same. Oh, or they were at they least did. working on it. Maybe they did. Yeah, there were like several doing this, right? And you would basically trade in your voting power on Astroport, which is a DEX, and you would be given the token of that particular um, project. Um, Nexus Protocol did it too as well. Like, so there was like three or four that were doing this, all playing this game. And it was well known that whichever protocol won would take the whole cake, right? Because ultimately, if you had dominance voting power, you could vote for the incentives on Astroport to whichever liquidity pool you wanted. So like if you wanted it to go to the Apollo liquidity pool, if Apollo won that thing, that they would be able to incentivize their LPs and their token would moon. And it was like a strong flywheel incentive to take over that system, right? And it's like the way that proof of stake voting works is it's winner take all, right? It's, it's like imagine the popular vote in the United States without the Senate, I'm sorry, without the Electoral College, without, you know, senators and congressmen in those type of votes, you just had a winner take all, right? Like in the United States, what would happen? Uh, California and New York would pretty much dominate the entire country, right? They'd win every vote, right? So this is the reason why, like, um, the rest of the states are not interested in going off of the Electoral College, because even though most people live in California and New York, or Texas or whatever, the few states have most of the people. The, the problem would be that all the rest of the states would get no real representation if you didn't have electoral college, right? So similarly in blockchain space, like it's the popular, popular vote that matters. So what happens to your voting systems is, is like, let's say Luna Classic or Luna, whatever gets big enough. Eventually, like people want to control incentives on DEXs or control governance. And people say, hey, stake your Luna Classic with us we'll give you a little higher yield. In the meantime, we will take over the voting. And so if we get big enough, they'll be able to vote whatever they want and beat out the rest of the community. And there's no way to, to solve from the blockchain too. So like, that's one of the bearish cases for um, proof of stake voting is it's possible to create escrow wars or bribing wars or whatever you want to call it. 
where I give you a bunch of incentives to basically like trade um, your Luna Classic for my protocol's token, maybe give you higher yield as a result. <laughs> and in the meantime, like um, I basically have the voting power and take over the votes and that voting power tends to favor my protocol, right? So on the chain, which then tends to pump my coin price, which then is a reason why you're getting involved with my protocol in the first place. It's like a feedback loop to take over the network, right? Does that make sense? So like <laughs> the voting escrow wars create another level of nonsense within blockchain. And that's what I was trying to describe earlier. Having seen, seen all these things play out, I'm like, wait a minute, we have to have systems in place to like gamify wrecking those types of systems or creating them from the very beginning so that we can control the dynamics of how they're built. So uh, several interesting things were escrow wars um, or like, yeah, voting escrow wars or whatever they call them. Uh, another thing was like the centralization effect of liquid stake tokens, um, the financial negative effects of MEV or extracted value. Um, there are several things like that are wrong with proof of stake that like if you were to build a brand new chain today, all of that shit needs to be fixed, right? Like there's there's several things. Oh, and the last one was like DEX incentivization. So like um, you're much more likely to get a like a DEX that favors the community if the DEX is built by the actual chain itself. So like Osmosis is a great example. The very chain itself is primarily a DEX. That's what it does, right? So that's like a very, like, so... Uh, the chain should basically be a DEX natively. There's no reason to give that up to another outsider. So it's interesting, like in the Luna Classic community, there is a community DEX being formed. But the downside to that is the community gets a benefit in terms of the transactions on the network. The downside would be that you basically have a communist system. Like you basically um, don't, you, you basically will, will have the best tokenomics will be for the core decks of the network and nobody else will come to compete, right? So like, how is it possible that an external decks could come on Luna Classic and survive if you have the absolute uh, like um, best incentives for the community decks, right? Because it's a native decks, you'll be able to control like the burn fee, the fees on that decks and everything, right? By governance, whereas you'll always vote in the system that the community decks beats out any private devices that want to show up, right? You see the problem? So once you've decided as a chain that you're like, hey, we're going to go the communist route, then you better be prepared to like, you know, ride that donkey all the way because nobody that has a capitalist mindset is going to show up to, to participate on your chain, right? You see, my, you see the problem? So like all these incentive problems um, that are present in proof of stake, um, you, you have to kind of, um, take things like MEV and other things and solve them so the community largely gets most of the benefit. Um, <clears throat> and um, I think that uh, almost all of those systems that we know of now, you're going to have blocks where the community does, in fact, get all of that benefit, right? Like, you know those are coming. So at the end of the day, it's like... Um, mm, you might as well just plan for that outcome, right? You have to game this out and say, wait, who are our competitor chains going to be? What are they going to build? Um, and what are the flaws of blockchain as it is today? How, what happens when someone else builds something that those flaws are fixed? Um, MEV resistance and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, and, you know, MEV resistance, DEX, liquid staking, and voting escrow wars all built into the primary chain. Then what, 
right? You see, see what I'm saying? Um, so it should be. Yeah, and then it becomes be a matter of how Mad Protocol can position itself best to, uh, you know, to provide this, you know, the solutions to the problems those chains introduce. Right, right, right. So like, there, there. Yeah, I mean, we're it's similar to chess in the sense that like, I'm sure in the early days of chess, um, if you take today's chess players that have had the benefit of like being trained by AI, being trained by like all the history of chess, right? I don't know what, what the, we take Magnus, whatever Carlson, whatever his name is, and you go and have him play like the earliest chess players there ever were. He's going to rock their world. Why? Because he's seen every possible stratagem and whatever possible. And like, he's just going to just romp on them. Right. Similarly with blockchain, like early chains, like Ethereum and such had lots of different problems. And it's very difficult to fix them after the fact. Like if you look at Ethereum and what they did with proof of stake, it's like, uh oh, the proof of stake network is way too centralized. It's basically sibled to the point where it's like, I don't know, one or two or three providers have most of the actual like staking, right? So that it created a problem. Um, and like, is that going to limit the growth of Ethereum and its layer ones? It very well might. Like, that would be the bearish case for Ethereum, where, you know, new people that come into new companies, let's say countries, whatever, they're like, we can't abide by this. We're not building the American USD, you know, the CBDC on Ethereum. It's way too centralized. Someone's going to wreck it. Right. It's like, we're not going to give up our power to these, you know, couple of validator companies. So <clears throat> these kinds of like centralization resistance tactics, like, I don't know that anyone's built a blockchain that's perfect for this. <clears throat> My suspicion is it's not possible. And that if you had uh, like a series of chains, one that took advantage of the MEV from other chains, one that had a DEX, one chain that has like this tokenomic and one chain that has that. And all of them are like functioning almost like, I don't know, like a, like a spider web of chains that they're all doing shit each other. Um, I think that could be a lot, lot more interesting. And maybe there's a mathematical way to solve for each of these problems as they arrive. Um, I could be wrong. Like maybe it's like I'm overthinking this. It's not possible. Um, but my suspicion is that I'm right. <laughs> like I just haven't uh, fully envisioned how to make this work. But um, yeah, it's like you, you're one chain is never going to have all the physical properties that are like going to solve for all technical issues um, or all like specific like investment theses or something like that. So you, you need a mixture of things um, to make this work. I, I think it's possible, but um, I haven't seen yet. Like I haven't seen the perfect, the so-called perfect system yet uh, at all, like in, in anything yet, not even, not even in Bitcoin necessarily. Well, if you do, make sure to, you know, you know, tag me in the tweet. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, but think about chess, though. The, oh, but that, the reason I brought that analogy up, if you, the farther you go into this, the farther the strategies become more and more apparent, right? Um, and all the attack surfaces become more apparent. And the difficulties with decentralization become apparent. And so as you evolve these things, um, eventually you get to sort of say, equilibrium at some point, a quasi-perfection, as it were. Um, take, for example, the history of automobiles. Um, like, if we let cars drive around the highways and stuff at 400 miles an hour, right, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> like, why is it going to be a problem? Because the human body 
can't handle accidents that speed. Um, if you make the speed of cars top out at one mile an hour, well, that doesn't beat walking really. So that doesn't make sense, right? Like, so there is a happy medium somewhere where like most of the people can get where they want with reasonable efficiency without killing everybody else and without killing themselves, right? Like there's like certain safety standards. And then there's other things like maybe be the width of the lanes, like eventually that became standardized. Um, the normal width of a car, the normal width of a parking spot, like to the point where today, if you were to build a parking lot, um, like there's a standard set of blueprints you use, like a certain width and certain guidelines. Those kind of things get worked out, but they got worked out over time, right? Initially, when cars got first invented, nobody fucking knew what the parking lot should look like, you know, with the modern car today. Um, but eventually, we realized, well, it doesn't make sense to make a 50-foot wide car. That's weird. Um, it doesn't make sense to have, like, a 50-foot long car. That's weird, too. And eventually, things became, like, like, the shape of cars that they are today to the point where it's almost boring, right? Like, if you go to the automobile dealer today, it's like, Jesus, everything looks the same. Like every Japanese car looks the same. They all have little curves and funny little lights and stupid shit. And like, they're just not that interesting anymore, honestly. Like most cars are just whatever. Um, that you just buy them and there's just utility because they're so similar now. Um, okay, wow. Like, you know, you, the lights on this one look cooler or there's some LEDs or some shit wrapped around it. Yay. But like once you get like past all that, you realize um, they're just not that interesting anymore. They're bring, which the, which is what they should be, right? Like they they have met certain standards and they have been optimized to the point where they can barely be optimized anymore until you do something new, like add self-driving to them or something like that. Right. But like, think about this highways you drive on, like the signs are a certain size. They're a certain color. You're supposed to see them a certain distance. Like there's a human reaction time at 50 miles per hour where you need to like know that exits coming in order to exit from it. All of those kind of standards through, through game theory and just through reiteration have been figured out to the point where like, you know, most of the problems of automobile driving um, have worked out to the point where like most places you go in the world, it's similar too. like France, the roads are going to be largely similar, maybe smaller cars or whatever, but like to a large extent, the, the principles are the same. Um, I think in blockchain, um, what's happening is this iteration of technology to where people figure out like, like what are the most useful use case of this thing? Um, how many ways can I destroy it or gamify the, this process? And like, um, I don't know, it's evolving like any other game that you've seen. Like it's evolved similar to how MMOs evolved, where people found all the different problems and, and exploits and stuff. <clears throat> and then slowly the gaming companies figured out how to avoid most of the common exploits. Um, which is why, by the way, it's hard to beat like Blizzard or some of these companies that have built games for a really long time because they know all the nuances of these things. It's very hard to beat them at um, and build a new game. It's even better. It's just really hard um, because they understand the min-max of it. They understand like the the, the game theory behind it, and um, and you know some ideas that like we might think of are really cool, like for cars or the road or something like that they've already been thought of and they people have given up on those ideas right like um there's a reason why roads are made of certain materials or maybe like signs are a certain size and parking spots are size and the tires are a certain size and all of that shit like has been optimized to like the level where we have it now and um i, I think blockchains 
are going through that process at this point. And the Terra crash in particular, along with a lot of other bridge hacks and other shit that happened this last year, um, including what happened to FTX and all the other fucking nonsense and Voyager, BlockFi, um, Celsius, FTX, um, Nomad bridge hack, the Harmony One um, exploit and draining. <laughs> like, like so many chains have gotten just totally wrecked that we've learned, I think, um, I think many in the blockchain space have learned about a lot more about what doesn't work and ultimately counterparty like, risk. Yeah. Counterparty risk and all the other things. Yeah. But like we're learning more and more and more about what doesn't work and actually watching it in real time and seeing it happen, not just theory, but actually actually have it happen. Um, and you know, there's some people that paid attention to all of those different events and probably have a good sense of like how to build it. But right now, one of the problems we have is like, even if you build a brand new blockchain, um, I don't know that there's anybody in the blockchain space that understands all the different problems that all the different chains have had to incorporate all of that and say, wait, like, okay, we don't want this error to happen. We don't want that to happen. We don't want this to happen, but we still want to make this blockchain work. Is it possible to build the so-called perfect chain, even knowing all the different hacks and exploits and um, civil attacks and whatever the fuck else, right? Like, it's really difficult um, to to sort of achieve this. Um, an interesting side effect of the Terra crash in particular was, um, look what happened to um, the decentralization of Luna. That's fascinating, right? <laughs> Luna became the most decentralized validator network um, on all the cosmos, oddly enough. Now, its market cap's not that big at this point, so like, you know, you know, whoop-de-doo kind of thing. It's maybe not that important, but as far as like decentralization and Nakamoto coefficient, it's the highest in the cosmos. So that's a plus side. Now, will it stay that way? Possibly not. It's quite possible that some validators will get bigger than others or whatever, or, you know, whatever. But like on the whole, <coughs> there's really no significant amount of like, you know, VCs and this and that on the chain anymore. So Luna V2 is actually quite decentralized and um, doesn't have a lot of um, like as far as like users and validators, obviously the team um, uh, TFL is still building things and they still have in this case, the multi-sig or whatever it is probably to the community fund and stuff. So I don't, I'd have to ask like how the access to those funds are exactly, but there are no team tokens anymore. There's no TFL tokens on Terra V2 for example. So very interesting how much has changed. Yep. Exciting times. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, have you seen any other, that. have you, have you seen the other interesting projects out there that have kind of like blown your mind in some way? Uh, well, I'm interested to see how Capital comes out um, and how the, uh, you know, the grave digger situation uh, sets up. Um, and you were saying before about the whole bribery thing. I wanted to know, I wanted to see how uh, the skip uh, network was going to uh, handle outside of the, outside of the chains. Now um, I saw how Wicca money and uh, enterprise, you know, were pretty much providing like a, you know, a nice little one click solution for, uh, you know, you know, for terror Two. Um, I imagine that the that the feather project is going to be something like that as well, but you know, on the on the chain kind of level. Um, 
I'm waiting really on uh, Y Foundry to come out so that I can, you know, tinker around with their, um, you know, with their DAO structure and, you know, the whole uh, centralized boundary kind of thing with uh, milestone payments and yield strategies. Um, I had some ideas that I wanted to uh, apply, uh, maybe kind of port back over to, um, you know, to Classic, because I know some groups, you know, looking you know for some type of structure you know whether um it was for you know uh the layer one altogether or if it was like within isolated communities at least we give them an opportunity to get there you know to get on the, you know, on the ground floor you know hit the ground running kind of thing if they can't you know come to a a full you know, like a full uh, collective you know I mean, because we can see that tribalism is just taking over. It's, you know, it's, it's got its, you know, teeth sank into the community. So it is what it is. But I think that, you know, Y Foundry is going to be positioned pretty well with uh, new projects, you know, moving in, especially NFT projects um, and, you know, allowing those uh, treasuries to kind of uh, you know, pr provide like a, uh, like a perpetual yield, you know, through the, their vaults and whatnot. Um, I would say the Y Foundry is probably my, uh, my most interesting concept maybe soil yeah um yeah i didn't even know that soil was uh you know so affiliated with nowhere i only found out through um you know through the, the articles on uh, agora and you know seeing nowhere kind of like vouch for them as much and then i started like seeing some of the usernames with both uh, soil and aware you know dually referenced I'm, I can I'm only here. speculate I, that half these projects are, you know, like once uh, Terra Classic is fully in, you know, in code parity, that any of these projects that launched on V2, you know, uh, could be uh, used directly on uh, on Classic. So it's in a way, I'm feeling like it's a matter of time. You know, um, I'm not I, I'm not really a I'm not really caring about first mover advantage unless there's some, you know, that first mover is, uh, you know, like moving by by fork magnitude, like Eris protocol. Um, I'm not going to hate on them too much, you know, too long, because they're still providing, an, you know, a added benefit. And they are, you know, they are trying to do some things in their own different ways, like the yield redirection um, and how they were able to, uh, you know, provide, you know, notable solutions, say, for uh, Terra spaces. Um, speaking of which Terra spaces, I see them in the, uh, you know, in, in, in the bottom. Um, shout out to Terra spaces. Um, for anybody who's like hosting spaces, you know, uh, and may need to get that spaces recorded. Um, it's, a, you know, like a great idea to reach out to Finn over at Terra Spaces and get that spaces recorded, um, you know, and definitely stick to, uh, you know, some, you know, to some validators uh, that support Terra Spaces, uh, like Orbital Command, for example, um, who's also on Classic, um, you know, Orbital Command and Terra Spaces are working with uh, Backbone Labs to provide, you know, uh, an anchor protocol uh, alternative. And who knows? It, it's just dubious speculation, but we could see the, you know, I could imagine uh, Backbone Labs uh, bringing the Gravedigger to Terra Classic and possibly giving Unity Development Team a run for their money as a uh, yeah, the first, you know, with the first mover war is trying to, you know, replace Anchor Protocol with a borrowing uh, lending uh, platform, you know, and I'm not sure what, it, you know, what Unity is doing altogether, but I know that, you know, at least with Catapult in the mix, you know, that there's, that there could be a stable coin solution, 
uh, using their uh, their solid token. Um, if it is supposed to be deemed a stable coin or an algorithmically fungible token or something like that, but yeah. Yeah, there's, I, I think the main thing is just like traction for these things. Cause like the games are out there, like, like projects are out there and now it's like um, people to go and do the research and try them and play on them and everything. And I think what happens is in a bullish market where everything's going up, everyone's in FOMO mode where it's like, oh, how do I get rich immediately? I need to kind of find out immediately how to find like you, right? Uh, like I need to get as much data as possible. I need to get in there and research before I like before everyone else does. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I mean, my mute Matt Mike is like he's like rustling papers in the background. Um, but yeah, like, but in a bearish market, it's like getting traction for things is is tougher because like people don't feel that FOMO to go and rush and do research and find out what usually happens, and that's pretty much what's happening now. Um, it's actually, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'd be curious like, to hear from some of the protocols about how many transactions per day they're seeing and, you know, some of the on-chain metrics as far as, like, participation and everything. Um, I, I found it interesting that um, someone had posted that, like, there's a lot of new Atom wallets being generated every day um, during this market. Um, and it's not to say that Atom's price hasn't slipped a little bit. I do think some central actors have been selling a little bit there's nothing a validator that unstaked a sizable amount of atom but it's good if there are lots of new wallets forming and there's new ownership of these tokens because retail um you know that buys tiny amounts of tokens and just stakes them and forgets about them is actually a good thing uh, generally for these systems and um i think it's bullish for the cosmos ecosystem at, at large if uh, more wallets are being created for Atom and there are buyers for that, because it just over the long run, those are all people that will have yield building up. And then when a bullish market starts, they're going to be looking to use that yield to spend on all the various chains, whether it's classic or whatever. <clears throat> so it's important to like understand the relationship between um, Atom as the most easiest, most fungible thing to bring into Cosmos and then all the other chains that you have that you want really easy ways to get turn Adam into Luna Classic, right? Like that's the bottom line. Um, that's a very important thing. And I think that's one of the things that um, the TFL folks have been working on for Terra Station and Terraform uh, is working on as well to, and they got like a grant um, vote that was going on to pay them to sort of like help with some of the development and things, which is probably well-deserved compared to many, many protocols since they actually do quite a bit and execute on their promises. So we'll see how that goes. But basically um, the idea is like if more and more, um, it may, if it's much, much easier for Adam to enter the system um, and to get to your blockchain on Cosmos, then it's easier for people to play on your protocols when they actually arrive. So, um, yeah, that simplicity is really important. Um, it'll be interesting if, uh, and Luna and Luna Classic both are not on Kepler Wallet and Cosmos Station, I think. Maybe Cosmos Station has Luna. I'm not sure if it has Luna Classic. But point is, like, you, you want to make it easy to exchange between these things. Fungibility is key. Um, hey, Rock King, what's going on? You there, man? Yeah, I got rugged for a quick moment. I don't know if his mic mic works or something. Oh, did you get dropped? I didn't even see Rock King. Uh, 
Oh, he's right there. Can you hear me, man? Rock? <laughs> um, maybe you have to drop and come back. I can't hear you for some reason. Yeah, I can't. Even, I, oh, I see him down in, as a listener. You might have to hop back on because like his connection is not good. But you know what? While we're still on the you know on the topic of you know new, new projects coming out, I still got to do my research on uh, on Zodiac protocol because they were going to be deconstructing um, um, like LP yields, and and that was kind of like steering some of my um, you know some of my curiosity to the you know the, the utility behind uh, an LP token and you know what LP stake derivatives could uh, could provide, you know. Like I, I still speculate on, you know, that type of short token, like I mentioned before with, uh, you know, with short ETH, you know, and I'm, I'm still looking into the, uh, the, uh, you know, the concept of like a, you know, like a, a VIXI, a VIXY alternative to, uh, you know, a solution for UST and what, whether or not like an LP, you know, for that would be Delta neutral. And, you know, if the yield could be deconstructed in such a way to perpetuate the, uh, you know, the, you know, positive demand side pressure, you know, for USD. And it's like, like, you figure if, you know, if you can only buy this, you know, this short on UST with UST, you know, one that, that kind of adds to some of the Delta neutral um, effect to it um, and, and create the demand for USD because you need USD in order to, you know, in order to buy it. And then, Hey, who knows? Maybe that's the, you know, the gaming token or the, uh, the token for the game of high platform. You know, and now it has, you know, now it has utility um, at, at, at the same time, maybe, you know, that stake derivative, you know, um, being delta neutral uh, could effectively provide, you know, that kind of uh, balance, you know, necessary for something that could, you know, be rather akin to an algorithmically fungible token or, uh, you know, something that kind of floated the, you know, the price action of a dollar. You figure if it's like, you know, what, what UST is like two and a half cents right now, you know, so that would mean that the, you know, the short, you know, if you were just throwing a dollar at it, you know, would be like, uh, you know, 97 cents, 97 and a half cents. And, the, you know, and the two paired together would be, you know, would effectively be a dollar. And if that was, you know, that, if that was being used around, you know, maybe that derivative was being used to buy the NFT assets, you know, and that NFT was your, uh, your pass to play the game. and you know, like the, like the membership card, you know, to get into the, uh, you know, to get into the store, right. Like Costco or something like that. And then, you know, the you know, the game currency is the, uh, is the short token, you know, which you, <laughs> which you need UST for altogether. So it just creates like a, you know, it creates that flywheel or feedback loop that you were, uh, you're kind of like talking about and maybe drives up the demand for UST pulls it out of circulation. You know, something like Spectrum Protocol would be, you know, well positioned for it. Maybe Zodiac Protocol could be, uh, could be rather positioned for it. I don't know. I hadn't really thought about, uh, yeah, any kind of like I haven't thought too hard about UST mechanisms and messing with them too much. Um, it, it's UST is interesting in that it's like you have some capital there. Um, and it's easy to transact with it and it's still available on centralized exchanges. So there is something to it, but it's, I think in many ways, dramatically easier to create. If you wanted to have a stable coin, it's a lot easier to create a fresh one and then allow 
you know, maybe via DEX or whatever to convert your USTC to this new thing. But like people's dream of, okay, like I'm going to own USTC, it's worth two cents and it's going to go back to a dollar or something. Like, mm, you know, unless you can find me $10 billion, um, there's no good reason for that to happen. And even then, why would someone with $10 billion buy this token for this purpose? They wouldn't. So therefore, like there's no mechanism for that to to connect back in any meaningful way, right? Like it's so it's like a sunk cost fallacy to even worry about this sort of thing. Like, uh, so I, I think if any kind of attempt if to create like mm, some sort of stable coin that's native just to the classic chain or the Luna chain, it can be done. Like no question about it. Um, and as long as you don't export it off chain, it can be pretty useful. Um, but it's just not going to be. Um, I don't know. It's not going to have the same scale as it these things once did, which is probably fine. So anyway, <clears throat> there's a poll. Elon Musk has a poll about something about like uh, if you want to vote me off as um, Twitter head, yes or no. I don't know if you guys saw this it's kind of an interesting conversation. Uh, I only see. saw the vote about the uh, about let the me, journalists coming back. Let me post this up here. It's uh, let me find the damn thing here. One sec. Okay, Elon. There it is. So it's basically: should I stop step down as head of Twitter? I will abide by the results of this poll. Um, I think what's good about uh, Musk is that um, he's credibly, he's a credible centrist, um, having kind of like supported both Democrats and Republicans in the past. Um, he most certainly has uh, a libertarian mindset from the perspective of like um, ideas about tyranny and things of that nature. Um, you could trust the devil, you know, or I guess he could replace himself with somebody. And I guess the, at the end of the day, was he really going to stay as sitting around managing operations at Twitter? Probably not. And probably it's a waste of his fucking time in all seriousness. Like um, at some level, he thought it was a very important thing. Uh, Twitter is very important because he was concerned about kind of the um, manipulation and censorship problem at the center and how to sort of like mm, put a libertarian view there. I think sometimes it's like, I think he might be the strongest voice of a libertarian mindset that you're likely to get running something like this. Um, obviously people on the left and people on the right would rather their guy be at the top. And if you look at the comments in, in people, it's like, oh, y'all do realize he was literally really hanging out with Jared Kushner earlier today, don't you? Who the heck do you think he's going to put in charge? Gandhi? And he's, she spelled the word Gandhi wrong, which is funny. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> like, like these, uh, the, the comments sort of like just show you like at one level, just generally how stupid people are. Number one, like, it's just funny, but like, just, like, I don't know. He owns the company. I would think that, um, 
Like, it doesn't matter. He can put in whoever he wants and arguably too sized. Um, I suspect what Elon will do is he'll probably put together a board of like people that are like a committee of like maybe like left, right, libertarian, some different viewpoints and try to build viewpoint diversity ultimately. But right now, the choices he's making are largely more tech decisions and uh, decisions for the financial um, like uh, survival of Twitter, I think. So um, it's a, it's an interesting like paradigm he has. So I don't know. I voted. Uh, let's see. I know he should not uh, step down as head of Twitter. <laughs> like I think you could do a lot worse in my mind. I don't know. What do you, what did you, what do you think, Matt? I, I think it's interesting that Michael Saylor ran a counter proposal and 82% of his voters uh, said he should stay. <laughs> so the Saylor crowd, like more of a Bitcoin libertarian crowd, wants Elon to stay, basically. Interesting. Yeah, usually like the crypto crowd tends to be more libertarian in nature and tends to um, prefer people of that type, I would think. Yeah. I see Rock King now. Yeah, Rock, you there, man? Like, couldn't hear Show you. Show me the Rock. It's the Rock <laughs> in the building. <laughs> there you are. Yes, sir. What hey. you been doing, man? Uh, yeah, I saw that tweet. Also, I voted for him not to step down. Um, and I think he's a steward of of a free speech. And um, I think, you know, his mission is to to bring people together. You know, right and left. And I think there's a, you know, I think there's more things that we, we can agree on than disagree on. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I think he's, um, you know, this is just a transition. Uh, he's going to leave good people in place and he's got bigger and better things to do than to, you know, to manage Twitter. Um, I also wanted to ask the question about when you say, um, Adam, are you talking about Cosmos? Yeah, the, the Adam token of Cosmos. Yep. Okay, great. Yeah, because I have some, I have some, I have some, uh, some, some, a little bit of money staked on that. I've always liked that. That uh, now, is it possible as far as the um, the pegging? And I think the uh, USTC thing is is something that's been the bad. Um, is there something? Is there any way possibly that we can maybe um, form a partnership with uh, a, some other stable coin? Does it need to be native? um to our uh, blockchain or can it be uh you know through a partnership because i think there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting projects out there um and that maybe we can partner up with um it would be good for them and i think it would be good for us as well so i just want to know what your thoughts on that is i'm not really sure like um there's there's different problems like yeah it depends on how deep of a discussion about stable coins you want but like um the stablecoin problem is a is a particularly difficult one to solve um especially if you're talking about like cross-chain use of the stablecoin or or like off-chain use of it um because you can short the stablecoin off-chain which is a funny thing in other words you can borrow mm, essentially what you're doing is borrowing money to sell the coin right so that's like shorting it is a 
interesting problem. Uh, you can't really eliminate that. Um, you could also long the coin too simultaneously, I suppose, if you thought it was like if it dipped in price or something. Um, and then you have like the remittance problem where um, any exchange that um, accepts a stable coin, I, I think what probably has to happen is almost there's a regulatory thing here too. It's like if Binance or Coinbase or whoever, anybody that had something they call a staple coin, were required by law to remit them one to one for a dollar, then or with or with other staple coins, then that would be different, right? Like, uh, or if by some kind of law, which it's hard to enforce this kind of thing because now you're talking about real real world laws instead of on chain things, and then it just misses the whole point. But like, yeah, if if you have a decentralized stable coin, you need decentralized remittances. That's the way I think of it. And if you don't have many, many places you can trade this coin in for a dollar, then the problem is it's like eventually going to fail at some level, right? It can't just be purely arbitrage. Um, it's it's got to be like a mixture of decentralized remittance and decentralized collateral. And both of those are hard problems to solve. So like what is a sufficient hard collateral? Okay, Bitcoin. The problem with Bitcoin is you can't verify the collateral um, is, you know, like it, it ends up having to have a multi-sig, like the LFG foundation type of thing or whatever. <laughs> so like that doesn't really work. Bitcoin is a collateral value, only works in the context of like an auditor who can prove that you have the Bitcoin and then you like, you know, use that to collateralize something. It just doesn't make sense. So the LFG thing was like, a separate failure because BTC is a separate network. Um, in the cosmos with IBC, uh, to your point, Rock, like I think you could get to a point where it's like, okay, let's say you had a chain that was a stable coin, um, like the Luna UST system, but the collateral types and remittance types could happen on every cosmos chain. Uh, so this would have to be a Cosmos native, Cosmosm native stablecoin mechanism where the mere existence of IBC makes it possible to create a cross-chain native token that is dollar pegged through some mechanism similar to Luna UST, but it does so across any chain in the Cosmos without any upgrades, without anything. It was like native to the Cosmos itself. Any IBC participating chain, um, well, to make to say this even better, it would be IBC native, so that any implementation of IBC that you would have that can connect to other chains would also natively have the stablecoin baked into it. <coughs> so something like that, where any chain in the cosmos you could remit for a dollar, um, some other stablecoin that's worth a dollar, um, and that was respected throughout the cosmos. If the Cosmos in general, all the chains combined in the Cosmos, like Crow, um, Binance, Smart Chain, whatever the hell, like all of them combined was to get big enough. Let's say they'd be like Ethereum size, like $300 billion or $500 billion, something like that. Then you'd have this interesting IBC native stable that you would only use within the Cosmos and... Um, it would serve the needs of the people of the cosmos chains, right? It, it didn't, it wouldn't matter then 
um, whether or not what happened on decentralized, I mean, on centralized chains, because the sheer volume of the token within the cosmos would be so much larger than any other place, theoretically, that um, it would overwhelm like the ability to just simply short it into oblivion or do something weird to it. Right? You follow what I'm saying here? So like the scale would have to be very big before it um, was ported to um, centralized exchanges and things like that. So it's just a very long vision with a system that would have you very cohesive and native to all the chains of the cosmos to take advantage of the network effect of, you know, 50 to a thousand cosmos chains, all supporting this staple coin on like within their ecosystem. Um, in other words, you're forming an economic uh, group and you're forming essentially like a country of states, right? All the chains are states and then the cosmos at large, all the chains together is like a country and now the stable coin would be the native stable coin of that country and at some point you may not even have to peg it to anything if it was big enough it would be just you know it's worth what it's worth and it's just generally stable through um, mechanisms within the, its own ecosystem sort of like if you go to like the uk you know the value of the pound sterling or whatever is probably like you know you know plus or minus a certain amount it's the same every day perhaps something like that right so if it's a big enough economic zone, then you would solve this problem. And, you know, you'd have like a remittance mechanisms within the Cosmos IBC. That's like the only thing I can think of that could take advantage of all the benefits of the Cosmos and somehow create a stable coin that could eventually become scalable and big enough. Like, uh, I can't really think of anything else that would be sufficiently powerful enough that would get you there. Right. But anyway, hey, Vargas, what's up? Uh, did you have you guys ever seen that um called gold i think it's called gold coin it's backed by gold and they have a silver coin it's yeah you mean you mean pax g yeah i, I believe that's what i was trying to look it up whenever you, you called on me so yeah it's called pax g p-a-x-g is what, what it is yeah what about it you said about having like uh you know a stable coin that could be back rather than just bitcoin doesn't Pax have uh, the Paxos dollar? Um, so I think well, you can get gold coins. USD. Too. Yeah, the thing is, though, as soon as you're talking about like backing with a physical good, you have to have an auditing agency that proves that you have the gold somewhere, and it misses the whole point of like a decentralized anything, right? That's the problem. Because if I, if let's say I wanted a gold backed paper for example i can go to any number of institutions and get gold backed paper and trade it on the stock market or whatever that are pretty credible i don't necessarily have to own the actual gold uh, nor do i have to have like a crypto version of it to help with some sort of decentralization uh, the crypto pax g is useful because you can trade it easily on outside of that like i'm not planning on holding pax g as a surrogate for actual gold necessarily personally like I could understand if I was going to bot it or you know use it in a bot in like KuCoin or something like that and trade against it, but as far as like using that at scale, um, I'm not sure how popular the Paxos system is going to get necessarily. Um, I, sure. Well, there is a gold coin that's called basically Gold Coin, uh, very centralized. GLC is that the one she was talking or he was talking about? Yeah, if you get on GoldCoin.com and they have uh, rhodium and silver. I just started looking at it when I, I looked at it a couple months ago and I didn't know it was 
kind of looking into sight when you called on me. The best so person to follow for that, um, for uh, precious metals, uh, is Hutch. He just follow him, jump the spaces with him for uh, gold crypto, silver I crypto. He, I don't think he messes with the crypto versions that, does he? Not actually, yeah, yeah. Hutch there's just a, buys the real thing. He he does both. He dabbles in both, but uh, after everything that's happened, but yeah, just Vargas. Just in general, a good person to follow is Hutch on the go. That's his handle. And uh, the current spaces he jumps into is um, TradFi Fanatics, but they follow the um, the stock market and backing by cryptocurrencies um, for it. Yeah, because we could always make like a USTG. It's backed by gold. Just saying. Well, we as in like someone would have to hold that gold somewhere, right? So like, who's that going to be exactly? That's the problem. So those are going to tend to be highly centralized. Like some company would own the gold and like have it audited and prove that it exists and then issue a stable coin, all this sort of thing. So it becomes a gold-backed security is what it becomes. And there's a lot of regulatory stuff that goes with that as well. So it, it's a commodity-backed security is exactly what it is. Let me ask you a question about these automated uh, market makers. Um, you would have to fund that in order to kind of use some t- those funds to create some type of, I don't know, stable platform to to trade those co- uh, the lunk. Is that like a possibility as well? Mm, trade what? What do you mean? We don't trade lunk for what? Well- well, I mean, uh, in order to keep the value, right, you have some Ethereum in there, you have maybe some Bitcoin, and you have some other uh, maybe uh, stable coin in this automa- um, uh, AM, uh, automatic money, uh, was that market maker, to kind of stabilize the value of that particular coin. And have, you, have you heard of that or have you seen that? Mm, you mean like a DEX? Like just like yeah, AMM DEX? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, we have those on Terra Classic. Like there's TerraSwap.io, um, Astroport. That, that's just like a liquidity pool for you to trade your coins for something else, like USDC or whatever. Um, but not to maintain value. What's that? But not to maintain the value. No, there's, there's no kind of like think at it this way gold has been around for thousands of years and even its value fluctuates or is unstable right so even something that's with a market cap of like 10 trillion dollars or more um fluctuates in value week to week month to to month and actually fairly volatile actually (laughs) so there is like no hope whatsoever for a crypto to um be more stable than that until the closest might be Bitcoin, but even Bitcoin's only like, I don't know, a tenth of the market cap of gold, right? So it would need to become probably, I would say, 10 times the size of gold market cap, like $100 trillion, which is God knows when, to basically start developing like stability where the market forces will kind of like um flatten it out a lot more and uh, and then it will effectively function as a stable coin so is it possible through like various mechanisms collateralizations or whatever 
to have a non-pegged stable coin that just like becomes arbitrarily stable, I would say um, nothing in crypto or almost any asset on this planet like doesn't have that capability. I, I think the like, uh, and also there's a reference point problem too. So like, if the dollar be is the largest um, by market cap or distribution or whatever valuation in the world then it becomes the de facto stable and all other currencies end up getting measured against it, which is what happened, um, including gold, by the way. Uh, so like, that's the only way to get some semblance of stability. And even then, that stability has to be maintained by economic background activity um, and adjustments by the and whatnot to meet the demands of the public as far as like supply and demand and everything else. Um, and that's an interesting sort of situation. So as far as like even at a currency level like the dollar, nobody has figured out a mathematical mechanism whereby this could be automated uh, completely. Um, you could argue actually that the dollar, instead of having the Federal Reserve, that monetary policy gets taken out of human hands and gets run by either AI or gets run by like randomization, like maybe like you just randomize the interest rates every month or every year so that people just have to keep on the, um, with the dollar in terms of expectations. And um, that's that. But even now, like there's certain randomization too, like even with the dollar, like you don't know for sure what the Fed's going to do next, you know, meeting or whatever, right? So even then, like there is a bit of randomization in a sense. Um, you don't know what world events are going to happen for sure. You don't know where they're going to drive the decisions for adjustments of interest rates or whoever by Federal Reserve or otherwise. Um, so, yeah, it's like there's even at that scale, no one's figured out the math. Right. So like the idea that we're going to figure this math out on some like small local level, there's just basically zero chance of it. Like all the economists in the world haven't sorted this shit out. We're certainly not going to figure singular blockchain or something. So I, I think most blockchains have given up on the idea of trying to create something quasi-stable even <clears throat> and um, ultimately, ultimately like attempts at algorithmic stable coins or collateral backed stable coins or interesting instruments, but they have scalability limits. So the, the size of those things and the amount of like Vargas's point to gold, like uh, like let's say for example, you had $10 billion of gold bars and that was your like, you know, like your coin that you're, you're issuing. Who's going to hold that $10 billion of gold bars? Who's going to secure it? Where is the building that houses that? Um, how is that system profitable to pay for the expense of a small military you have to, to have to like defend this pile of $10 billion of gold? Um, like, were you going to put it underground or some shit? Like, where is that going to go? Like, right? You have all these problems that happen. And then you have to say to yourself, wait a minute. Um, my coin version of gold is not going to be worth as much as real gold because technically I have to pay expenses on this shit. And therefore, like um, my actual coin, I'm, I'm going to have to tax it, right? I'm going to have to do what MasterCard and Visa do and charge a fee because otherwise, how am I going to pay for all this security infrastructure? You guys see the problem? Like there's no such thing as a free lunch with these things where you just back something and now it's scalable backing something makes it definitely not scalable for sure. Like, no, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Backing it with something else implies that you might as well just have that something else, right? Like you're going to back it with gold. You're just better off owning gold. 
it's a lot less expensive in a sense. Um, you, like if you own $10 billion of gold bricks, you'd still have to store it somewhere and you'd still have to secure it yourself, right? So you're, never, you're not going to eliminate that expense even if you owned all that gold. You'd have to find out a way to uh, like protect it and shit like that. So, yeah, that's that's sort of the Bitcoin story. Essentially, is like you have the verifiable scarcity of gold, but the portability that's dramatically better than gold is the theory behind it, right? That's the the, the benefit there. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, we just haven't mm, fully replicated that scale um, on proof of stake networks, I guess. Ethereum with proof of work got close, <coughs> excuse me, and um, or at least a third of the way compared to BTC. And then with proof of stake, I'm not sure they didn't make the problem worse in terms of centralization. Apex, what's up? Steffi, what's going on? Um, I will hold all your gold, send it to me, and I'll make sure it's safe. How much is it going to cost me, man? You can do it for free. I will do it for free. I promise. I won't take. I won't shave any off the top. Mm, you're not going to mix it with a little bit of lead or spaghetti sauce or something. I might drill some holes in it. Who knows? Well, I knew it was going to cost <laughs> spaghetti me spaghetti sauce. Yeah, I knew it was going to cost me something, right? Like it's just a matter of time. I was going to wait for you to find out. Like you know. Yeah. So I I have a I before I start investing in uh or buying uh crypto, I I inherited some silver and I started buying actually a portion of silver two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Um and it's you're right, scalability is very, very, very extremely very difficult in that respect. You have to you are you always have to be did, did you bury it in your backyard, or do you have it in a like a safety deposit <laughs> box, or what? <laughs> I'm not telling you, brother. I actually I got it in a couple. I'm gonna, of I'm gonna hunt your ass down and steal your shit. Yeah, don't <laughs> tell me. Um, but yeah, it's you know, so you always have to be exploring. The, you know, the the companies that do that do uh, do back uh, do cryptocurrencies backed by gold. They always open up new mines and explore as far as scalability is concerned. I believe. And that's a large, that's a pretty large investment. Wait, you're talking about mining what, gold or Bitcoin? What do you say? I missed that. Uh, mining gold. Mining gold. Oh, yeah, that's a big deal. <laughs> like, the, uh, yeah, gold mining is a difficult process. Right. And one of my buddies, I mean, he does he does do that. I, I think it's some company out of like Indonesia or something that's that he invests in. It's a gold-backed crypto. Um, they're always having to open mines and explore and, and that that costs money for them yeah if you compare like gold backed crypto to simply owning bitcoin i think bitcoin's the easier thing to own honestly in many ways because then you have to take the risk of the whoever's holding the underlying asset you basically have centralization and counterparty risks and seizure risks and other things um that make that difficult like what makes you sure that like someone's not going to run off with the gold or something, right? Or what makes you so sure like it's backed one to one hundred percent? Like you have no way to know um, without some auditing agency. And there have been examples of auditing agency that have created cluster um, Enron and um, 
what's it called? Arthur Anderson or whatever the hell that firm was. It was a good example where uh, Anderson basically was like, um, I, like signing off on Enron's ship, but the whole thing was a big like Ponzi or something. So it's like the FTX explosion in many ways, right? So that's the problem with having a separate, separate verifier and backing anything, um, which is why some people just like to own physical gold or silver if they want to own it at all. But then, of course, like, where are you going to put it? And uh, are you going to put it in a safe deposit box with your name on it where if, like, <laughs> something happened to you, that could be confiscated uh, legally or something as part of your assets, right? This is the other problem. Like, Bitcoin has an interesting effect in that you could put your assets there and nobody could take them from you if your seed phrase is... Um, is not available, right? It's a little bit different in terms of security. Anyway. Right, right. Well, my wife just landed. I'm at the airport. I got to go. See you yep, guys. Airport, man. Have a good one. Bye. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's probably a good sign to, to hop off anyway. It's getting like late over here. I guess it's Elon Pole and see what he does. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm going to come up here one uh, or more other times, you know, to continue picking your brain. Um, yeah, we have thank fun. you for the pickery. Much appreciated. Yeah, yeah. It's just like brainstorming and stuff to help people think about these things. It's fun. All right, cool, guys. Have a good night. Catch you later. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was part three of the three part Chepe Space, the Luna Lunk. AMA, Q&A, all that good stuff. Recorded on Sunday, December 18th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Rolling down the street in my 6 foe. I never had a 6 foe. A kid can wish though. I snapped a wishbone and grabbed a fistful. Chilling with the dopey this of weed is all I wish for. I'm feeling blissful. I gotta miss this. My ginger always down to ride no matter what the mission. I'm singing this song. Got a couple albums out. We do alright, but it ain't really shit to write home about. Like to feed the fishbow. Keep my stories mystical. I like my beats. Boom, bap and rap to be lyrical. I'm feeling cynical. Craving a little ritual. Save my place in line while I try to find a miracle. I keep looking and looking and looking, but never find nothing. We've been lied to, thinking this surprise under super secret lies. Motherfucker sneak inside, going dark. Now believe me when I say this shit is do or die. Going dark. Now believe me when I say this shit is do or die. Going dark. Now believe me when I say this shit is do or die. the trenches trying to stay offensive trespassing here like this land looks expensive ain't no time like the present trying to stake a claim just make sure your claim stays away from all these other claims we're almost kind of running out of land here living in the day of the dead and it's damn weird same teams y'all we just trying to get a bite to eat a little rest saved up waiting for my time to sleep head down middle fingers up yo i'm wide awake never hesitate to stay about a hundred miles away seven time and space while the wrecking ball the place i expect you all to play running marathons today when the Sick get sicker and the rich get richer It might be about time to rearrange our dinner Fix the system, the shit, it's all nixed Waking up early, gonna suck today's Going dark now, believe me when I say this shit is do or die Going dark now, believe me when I say this shit is do or die
guy, man. He's totally gonna take care of Angela, man. He's, he's great. He's a wonderful lab partner, so it's gonna be cool. He'll keep an eye on her. Why don't you go fuck yourself, you weird little prick? I'm a teacher, okay? You can't talk to me like that, guy. I'm not a student, so I can say whatever the fuck I want. Channel Spaces.